The USMNT are kings of CONCACAF. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backheel Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and I'm back in Phoenix after covering the USMNT in person for their Nations League semifinal 3-0 win over Mexico and their 2-0 win over Canada in the final on Sunday. It was a hugely successful window for the United States, adding another trophy to their cabinet. Now, on today's episode, I want to dive into what we learned about the USMNT on the way to earning that trophy. So we'll dive into a number of different takeaways from this competition ahead of the Gold Cup starting in just a few days. It's crazy these things are packed together. So we're going to dive into some player takeaways, some team takeaways, all that good stuff here on the Backheel Show in 10 minutes or less because we believe that just because soccer games are 90 minutes long doesn't mean that soccer podcasts have to be. So... Let's get to it and talk soccer. All right, folks, our first takeaway from the Nations League for the United States men's national team is a big one. It's that Yunus Musa is a legitimate option at the number six position. Now, this was a huge question mark for the U.S., coming into the semifinal against Mexico and eventually the final that we expected against Canada— Tyler Adams was injured. He picked up an injury with Leeds during the second half of the season, which meant that there was no ideal defensive midfield option for the U.S. coming into this competition. Johnny Cardoso was in the squad. That was always an option, and he did feature against Canada in the latter stages of that game, but he's not ever shown with the U.S. to be an elite-level international player. So without Adams, there was a real question about who would play that position or Maybe we'd see a double pivot. And we did see some signs of a double pivot with Weston McKenney, especially against Mexico, dropping in a little bit deeper. And in the second half against Canada, we saw the U.S. move to a double pivot, even with Weston McKenney suspended. But really, the one doing the majority of the defensive work and the one deepest, most often for the U.S., in what looked like a single pivot to me for large stretches of these games was Yunus Musa, a 20-year-old kid who doesn't really play the number six spot with Valencia. He's played out wide more than he's played deep in central midfield. He looked fairly natural in that role. Now, I'm not saying he was perfect, and he he wasn't. He was not flawless for the U.S. across these two games. But he looked comfortable. He looked poised. He looked capable of making some defensive reads. He has a a very nice tactical foul to stop a Mexico counterattack early on in the game against Mexico, setting the tone from the very beginning that he wasn't going to be pushed around in that spot, that he wasn't going to allow really obvious, simple Transition attacks or straight-up attacks from either of the U.S.'s foes in the Nations League. I really enjoyed what Musa brought to the table to the point where I think it's worth exploring him playing the number six spot for the U.S. and and keeping Tyler Adams on the bench against a lower-quality team. I think Adams still brings something completely invaluable for the U.S. against better teams, and his ability to cover ground is truly elite. But against a team where the U.S. is expected to have the ball and really isn't seeing a big threat from the opposition— I think Musa, even with a first-choice group in camp, I think Musa is someone that could be very, very interesting in that deeper midfield role. So Yunus Musa as a legit number six option is the first takeaway. Gio Reyna, playing in central midfield, is the second. Reyna played as a number eight, sort of a free eight of sorts in both of these games for the U.S. men's national team. He'd never played in that role before. He played as a winger. He played in the half spaces, but he never played deeper down the field and I thought he was good. I don't think he was great, although he did have great moments, but he was good across both of these two games, which is an extremely encouraging thing for a player that's still not really found his role 
for the U.S. I mean, I wrote a piece for Backheel about the biggest things that Greg Berhalter needs to do ahead of the 2026 World Cup. Now that he's back in as manager, and the very first thing on that list was finding a role for Gio Reyna. He's that good, and he needs to be involved in this team. You could see how dangerous he is driving forward, taking space, even as a deeper-lying midfielder, with that beautiful assist to Florin Balogun. More on Balogun in just a second against Canada for the second goal for the United States men's national team. Reyna is so comfortable on the ball. He's so press-resistant. He brings so much in the attack. I really liked him playing in that central midfield role, especially on rewatch in some of these games. Again, not a perfect performance. I think defensively, he still has a lot of work to do, and I think he can do more to find and dictate the game in those central areas because I'm a firm believer that he is the most talented player in the entire U.S. pool. But man, it was encouraging to see him running, to see him covering ground, to see him looking active and engaged in that deeper number eight position even though he comes off against Canada with a calf injury. His injury proneness, yes, I, I talk for a living, his injury pronity, pronitude, any of those. We're going we're gonna to go with any of those. That's still a real issue for the U.S. and, and not something that I feel good about. But I, I do feel much better about Gio Reyna playing as a deeper midfielder now than I ever have before. Up next here in terms of takeaways from the CONCACAF Nations League for the United States is that Florin Balogun is the real deal. Balogun was quiet against Mexico in his debut. He started, came off after 75 minutes, had just 17 touches and one shot in that game against El Tri. But even in that game, he was quietly effective. He was quietly involved, playing players in behind, getting on the ball, holding the ball up, and then playing forward as well. He was sharp and quick in those moments, drawing a red card from Cesar Montes with defensive work and then savvy positioning to use his body to shield the ball away from Montes. He was in the right spot so often in that game. And then against Canada, it's, it's the goal, right? It's the goal and consistently popping up in high-quality attacking positions and even maybe not finishing every chance, but still showing that he's good enough to get into those spots. The goal, though, in, in particular, was fantastic. It is Giorena striding forward out of midfield, and Balogun waits. He waits and stays in Canada's center-back blind spot until... He points to his spot, sees that Giorena is going to play the pass. They're on the same page somehow, even though they have barely played together. Balogun gets to his spot, then shields Kennedy away from the ball. Scott Kennedy, Canada's center back, and finishes really cleanly with his right foot on the right side of the box. It was a phenomenal bit of skill, uh, of savviness with his movement, of strength with his body, of control, of deceleration, all of those things. Balogun, and I've been saying this for months now, even before Balogun was a USMNT player officially as a dual national, I've been saying he is a complete number nine. He's not a perfect player and he still has a lot of room to grow, but it was so evident watching him against Canada at Allegiant Stadium that this guy brings something different to the pool. Now, Ricardo Pepe's not going to roll over, right? Pepe scored a goal in this window as well, but I think the U.S.'s one-two punch of Balogun, you know, kind of eating up the first two-thirds or, or three-quarters of the minutes drawing defenders out, pestering them, you know, maybe having them commit a foul or a yellow card or red card or whatever it is with his good hold-up play and then sprinting in behind in the right moments. That feels excellent for the U.S. from the start. And then Pepe coming on to exploit an exhausted and, frankly, defeated defense, at least in many cases in this window. I think that worked really, really well as a one-two punch for the U.S. I don't think their number nine position has ever looked this strong. Let's move into the back line here in terms of takeaways and look at Chris Richards, a player who started both games for the U.S., the semifinal against Mexico and against Canada in the final. Richards was everywhere. He scores a goal on a, a corner kick from Gio Reyna in the second game. It's a great header, just overpowering Alistair Johnston. Richards gives the U.S. something extra on set pieces. He is a real threat in those moments. 
to the point where Canada couldn't handle both him and Zimmerman in the box. You know, they, they don't have that many big-body defenders. The U.S. has two of them in Zimmerman and Richards and Robinson when he's healthy and fit. Other players as well, they have legitimate set-piece threats, and, and Richards certainly is one of them. He was excellent in that moment against Canada and generally excellent with his duels on the ground, winning the ball in the air, his distribution from the back. This guy is the closest thing the U.S. has to a complete center back, and we've been injured for too long and missed too many recent camps, missed the World Cup with an injury. We hadn't had a ton of data on him with the national team, but this is the best and obviously the most recent data we've had on Richards, and he was utterly fantastic. His name is written in pen at the top of the center back depth chart now after this window. We'll see what his club season looks like with Crystal Palace, but even if he's not playing, this guy is the real deal. Finally, the last takeaway, and just quickly before we get out of here, the U.S. are the best team in CONCACAF. Like, so, so clearly they stomped Mexico. Really, they stomped Canada in the opening half of that game on Sunday. This is the best team in the region, and the margin between them and the rest of the region looks wider than I have ever seen and maybe wider than it has ever been. The Copa America next summer, summer of 2024, is now going to be a fantastic measuring stick for this group, along with... Some quality friendlies, it seems like, coming up in September and October of this year. That's it for this episode of the Backheeled Show. If you enjoyed this episode, scroll up or down here in the Backheeled Show feed for more. Leave us a rating or head over to Backheeled.com and subscribe. We'll talk to you again soon. Backheeled.